0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in this time, in this space, uh, with hearts that are open, ready to hear. Lord, and I pray that if we haven't come with open, ready-to-hear hearts that you would Open up, help us to open up our hearts right now. Lord, that we would come, Lord, that we would be here, that we would have ears to hear as you often said in your word, that we would hear what it is that you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would use this time, that you would use me, Lord, as an effective tool in your hand. That You would take all of these words that I've got rattling around in my brain, Lord, and you would knit them together into the perfect message for today. So we thank you. We ask your blessing on this time. And as we sang just now, Lord, you are welcome here. You're not just welcome here, Lord. You are desired in this place. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, you know, as we have often seen as we walk through the word of God, line by line, chapter by chapter, we often see times when Our real life situations completely line up or match up with um, what it is that's going on in the world around us, right? We're in a storm here in Acts chapter 27 and 28. Not just a storm, it's a hurricane. That's called a, Euroclides is called, but it actually means hurricane, east surge. You know, there's a hurricane coming right up from the south. You know, maybe, and hopefully it will, it will die down before it gets here. But I'm often, uh, uh, I have to laugh sometimes um, when God was like, oh, you're talking about storms? Here's one. Hey, you're, gonna, you're talking about how to be in a storm and how to talk in a storm and how to relate to other people's storm. Guess what? Here's a storm, an actual storm. Try it on. Are you going to walk the walk? <laughs> Are you going to practice what you preach? Come on, God, you want me to preach the hard stuff? Well, we see here last week that they're in this horrible storm. They're on a boat and they're trying to get from where they left Fair Havens on the island of Crete. They're trying to get to Rome and, uh, and uh, they're uh, in a storm. And it is to the point where they have thrown away the rudders, they've away, thrown away the tackle, they've pretty much given up all hope. They're letting the wind drive them wherever it is the wind wants to drive them, they're being blown around, they've lowered the sail, they've thrown uh, stuff away to kind of lighten the load, And this says that they are they're afraid, they're miserable, they're feeling helpless, and they're feeling hopeless. Everyone says, all hope was lost. And you know it's I, I, frankly, it's one of the easiest things to preach about when you're when you open up the Bible and you see it's talking about a storm. You're like, this will be a snap. Everybody has storms in their lives. It's not even a stretch to talk to make a metaphorical. Comparison to an actual storm that we read in the Bible, and to a, a storm, a, a you know, like storm we might go through in our life. It's easy because people, everybody goes through storms. Uh, in this case, there's two really great applications. If you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and we're talking about big storm, big life, your life right now is rudderless. Your life right now has got no direction, and you're trying to hold it all together with everything that you've got, and sometimes you have good days, and sometimes you have bad days, and you often come to the end of what you know how to do. And and as Paul would say to them, in order for us to be saved, he says, we're going to need to abandon ship. We're going to have to run it aground. We're going to have to be shipwrecked. We're going to have to just get off of this thing. And to do that, we're going to have to exercise some faith. And so, if you're here today or you're watching us online and you've not made that decision to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you are this rudderless ship that's being blown this way and that way, and you're holding it all together. And the message for you is you need to abandon that ship through a step of faith. You need to reach out and you need to accept Jesus and let Jesus be the one who is going to steer your ship. Well, here's the thing though if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm good. And I do believe in Jesus, and I've believed in Jesus for a long time. And, and you're looking to your left and your right going, it's for them. This message is for them next to me. <laughs> well, I've got news for you. Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, who were all followers of Jesus, are on this ship. And it's in the midst of a storm. And what that says to me is, as believers, we also go through storms. Don't we? Anybody in a storm right now? I got two of them. <laughs> Yeah, today, today. Well, here's the thing, right? Even as a, even as a Christian, you know what we do? We still like, I can fix this. I can fix it. I can wrap ropes around the bow, and I can steer this ship somehow, and I can, I can make this work. Until we come to the like, end of our rope. I, you know, that's a saying that's been going through my head as we've been going through this study. When you come to the end of your rope, you know, if you had to rappel down a wall to get to the ground and you've got a rope and that's what you can do. I've got a rope and you throw down your rope and you start climbing like, hey, it's all going good, it's all working out. And you get to the end of it and you still have 30 feet to go. And what do you do? You're at the end of your rope. Picture that. See, the crazy part here is whether or not we're talking about big picture, your life needs to be turned over to Christ and you need to abandon that ship or you're a believer, but you're on a boat that you're trying to hold together and you're in the storm right now. The answer is the same. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. (laughs) In fact... An angel comes to Paul and gives him the answer. He says, the Lord is going to spare you through this storm. You're not going to stop it. It's not going to stop the storm. In fact, I don't see anywhere in these two chapters where the storm actually stops. They get to Malta and it's still raining. They build a fire and it's still raining. The storm doesn't stop, but they're preserved through the storm. Right? did not that happen? God says, you know what? We're going to go through this storm together, but I'm going to be with you through the storm. You know, and that's where we see these guys. They're on this boat, and, and, and Paul comes out. You remember last week, you know, in the midst of the storm, and it's, you know, raining, and they're, they're, they're rocking on this boat, and, and they've tossed over almost everything, and, and they're feeling hopeless, like no one's going to save us. There's nothing we can do. We're all going to die. We're out and still in the middle of the sea. And Paul stands up. And he's like, guys, I told you so. We shouldn't have left, fair havens. I told you so. You should have listened to me, he says. But he says, but an angel this night, an angel came to me and he says that uh, we're all going to be spared. The ship's going to be busted all up, but we're all going to be spared and we're going to have to run aground on a certain island. You know what struck me about that? Uh, Paul then gets bread and he says, we got to eat. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks to God in the midst of the storm. He gives thanks to God, and that is what encourages everybody on board. You know what? It's not Paul sitting there and and his condescending correction and saying, you should have listened to me. That doesn't encourage them. That doesn't help them. That doesn't change them. What changes them is they see him give thanks in the midst of the storm. (laughs) Do you do that? not always, right? Sometimes I'm too busy fixing my boat, trying to steer, to even worry about giving things. God, thank you for this storm. (laughs) Whoever says thank you for this storm? I mean, do you remember, Irma, when you're huddled in the dark, you're just like, thank you, Lord, for this storm. I'm sure there'll be a huge blessing that comes out of this. Well, for many, there were. But there's a message here that Paul stands there before all these people and he gives thanks to God in the midst of the storm. And whatever's going on, he has an attitude of, I may be in a storm, but I thank God for his provision and all that he has given us this bread. It's it's very old, soggy, might have a few bugs on it, but I thank God for it. (laughs) And they're impacted in an amazing way by this. They're all encouraged. They're so encouraged, in fact that when it comes time to jump off the boat into the raging sea, they all go. They all go. right? That's amazing to me that they're on the ship. It's pointed towards land because they run aground a little bit. The, the, The ship's Bow is kind of wedged into these rocks, but the stern is being broken up. It says by the two seas that are coming together in the storm that's raging. And Paul was like, "Okay, everybody, jump in!" <laughs> and you're looking at the water and you're like, "What?" But Paul's like, "No, remember I told you that God said that we're all going to be saved." And so, in order for them to jump over the side, don't you think that took a step of faith? At least the faith in the words that Paul had said, I believe God. God told me that this was going to happen, and I believe God. Okay, so I get it. If you're on a ship and it's being smashed up and you're thinking, well, I could stay on the ship and be smashed up to pieces for sure, or I could jump in the water and swim to shore. You might think that's an easy choice to make. And for some, I'm sure it was. But you know, some of the people on this ship are prisoners. Like They're condemned men. They're on their way to be executed, and not just executed, but executed in the arenas where they're going to be torn up by beasts or killed by gladiators. And don't you think that some of them are thinking, hmm, maybe I'll just jump in the ocean right here and let myself drown in the sea. That would be a better death, I think, than going off to Rome to be executed for the entertainment of the crowd at the, at the end of a spear or in the lion's mouth. But it says that we saw this week, all of them made it. All of them swam to shore. They all made it to shore. And I had to wonder, like, why did they all do that? Why did all of those prisoners swim to shore and and go on to ultimately face their execution? Because I have to believe there was something that they saw um, in Paul's life and heard in the words that said there's more to life than just this. And in fact, beyond life, there's afterlife. There's eternal life. And if I know Paul, I think I do, I know Paul's message on this ship to them for all the days that they were there that talking about Jesus, a God that loves you unconditionally. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're actually the worst prisoner who deserves to go off to death. God still loves you. In fact, he's made a way for me to be on the ship with you so that I could tell you this. That is how much he loves you. <laughs> and... There has to be something in those words that those guys heard that said, whatever that is, I want to hear more of that. So wherever that guy Paul is going, I'm going too. Even if it means I'm going to jump off into the stormy sea and swim to land, I'm going to wherever those words are going to be. Because they didn't get the full message most likely, but they heard enough that they were like, I want more of that. I want more of the message of eternal life. I want more of that message. And so off they go over the side of the ship into the water, or swim to shore. It says it there that some jumped into the water and some swam and some rode on pieces of the ship and some on boards. Some of them were on boards. I think that is probably the first instance that we see surfing. There's Paul. Woo, gnarly. Excuse I didn't make that up. That's from all the California Calvary pastors. (laughs) But it makes me laugh to think. There's a shh, in they go. (laughs) So I want to share something with you. Let's put that first map up, guys. All right, fourth missionary journey. We've looked at this a couple times, right? Fourth missionary. It's the fourth missionary journey. You can see that they uh, left Israel, they went up to Sidon, they went up around Cyprus. we studied all this last time. They came down around Fair Havens, that's that little island. And they left Fair Havens um, to try and make it to Rome. And this is where the storm hit between uh, the island of Crete and the island of Malta. You see, that's where the uh, storm hit. And so it's like a little wiggly line. And they hit Malta, all right? But every map I've seen looks like that. I made my own map of what I thought it might most likely look like. Let's show that one. Yeah, there you go. That's probably much more accurate. It says the wind blew them in every direction. And see, when I look at the storms in my life that I go through, it's most like that. Not that curvy little line that goes through the water. It's like that. It's a big, jumbled, tangled mess. And This is where they are. Well, here is the crazy part, okay? You see that little, little tiny island of Malta and how the wind is blowing them all around? And yet, this is where they end up. They end up coming to this island. They have no way to steer. Their sails are down. The tackle has been thrown overboard. They are basically a wooden boat just floating around, blowing wherever the wind blows them. And yet, they come to Malta. You see, they could have easily blown right by it and hit Tunisia or Libya or any. They could have floated out there into the other part of the sea. They could have and most likely should have missed it. What are the chances that that little 140-foot long boat would have landed on that little tiny island of Malta? What are the chances? Almost nothing except, but God had a plan. But what we're going to see is God had a plan all along. Uh, remember, God isn't just concerned with you. He is concerned with you, but, but God's got a lot going on. And so some of the things going on in your life might just be intersections of other things that he's got going on as well. So God was saying, you know what? I will make a way for everyone to have the chance to hear the gospel. I'm going to put Paul on this boat. I all those prisoners, all those soldiers, all of those sea men sea guys sea sailors that's the word i was going for sailors all had an opportunity not just here but as we're going to see for the next 3 months to hear the gospel message because he says i will make a way for everybody to hear this message and sometimes we look at the way and we think what god what are you doing how could this be good and he says you just don't know you just have to trust me <laughs> They land not just at Malta, but at an island that has a bay. And not just a bay, but it says with a beach for them. They're blown around the Mediterranean Sea without any way to steer completely at the mercy of the wind. And and the wind just happens to take them to a little island with a bay and a beach. For them to swim. I mean, what if it was just a big rocky shore that they had to jump out into the water and swim? They all had to be smashed against the rocks. No, that's had a beach. What are the chances? Probably nothing. But God has a plan. So what are the chances? 100%. 100%. It says at the very end of the last chapter, they all escaped safely to land so in verse 28 uh, chapter 28 verse 1 it says when they had escaped they found out that the island was called Malta do you know what is so crazy do you know what the Malta means the place of refuge Does that surprise anybody in this room that Malta actually means, if you go back to the original Phoenician name, means the place of refuge? Because God says, I'm going to let you blow around in the storm a little bit until you come to the place where you need to rely on me because you got nothing left. And then I'm going to bring you to the place of refuge, Malta. In fact, it was called the place of refuge because when the Phoenicians Hundreds and hundreds of years before this settled it, there was a plateau in the middle of the island that they built a city on top of because they were raised up and they could look in every direction and they could see what was coming and it was defensible and it was called the place of refuge. And I think that's so fitting. Really, doesn't that really represent God being able to, you know, he's raised up. He could see everything. He is our place of refuge. And this is where he brings this ship filled with people. And in verse 2, it says, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. All right. I'll admit, forever. I have read that in my mind, you know, and this is one of those stories where I just kind of read through and be like, yeah, okay, I totally get all kinds of symbolism. If it's good, it's God. And I've always read, and the natives showed them unusual kindness. The natives. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, loincloth, bone through their nose, spears kind of a thing. Um, I could not be more wrong. If that's what you're picturing in your mind, you also could not be more wrong. The word here that, that Luke uses, it, liter- it does mean literally barbarian, but it was how anyone who spoke Greek or Latin referred to anyone else who didn't speak Greek or Latin. If you didn't speak Greek or Latin, you were considered a barbarian. I mean, it necessarily wasn't a bad thing, but it was just a way of saying they speak a language that we don't know, we don't speak. Uh, Also means that they were native to that island, right? And so they were pretty advanced. They had had metalwork and a writing system, their own alphabet for hundreds of years by this point. Uh, They were a pretty advanced culture. They just didn't speak Greek or Latin. And so this is the island that they land on, and it says that they came out, the natives came out, and showed them unusual kindness. <laughs> um, in, the, in, the, in the original Greek, that word is philanthropy. Philanthropy. That means fondness of humans. That's, the, that's the, that, what that word means. They showed a fondness for humans. Philanthropy. If you have a, a, an original King James Bible, it says no small kindness, right? Somewhere along the line, though, it got translated into unusual kindness. I'm not really sure. I have a New King James Bible. It was New King James was translated into New King James in, like, 1982, all right? And somewhere along that time, they took this idea of philanthropy, fondness of humans, which was translated by King James into English as no small kindness, and now it's unusual kindness, that just seems kind of reflective of where we are. Kindness is unusual. Doesn't it feel that way, especially right now? I mean, how many videos online on YouTube do you find of like, look at all the really kind things that are happening. Look, at, when they show that on the news, it's like a special feature. And now our special one time of the week makes you feel good. Someone did nice for something else, a little video snippet, but the rest of the news is all really bad stuff. The f- fails... Karen videos. Those are the things that are, like, is what everyone's about. What has happened to kindness? It's unusual. It's such a shame. It's such a shame that we've lost that. Let's change that. Let's be known for those people who are kind. Kind. You know what? When when they would accuse the... the uh, um, the disciples of whatever it was that they were doing, it says they're turning the world upside down, right? Let's do that. Let's turn it upside down. So no longer is kindness unusual. I They showed them, like it says in King James, a, not a little kindness, great kindness, a fondness for humans. It seems crazy to even have to say that. And it says that these natives they came out they showed them unusual kindness and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and it had because of the cold. Okay, so what do we know? They've all jumped off the ship. They've abandoned their ship. They swam to shore. They're soggy. They're wet. It's cold. It's still raining. Do you understand that this hurricane that destroyed this ship, blew it around and destroyed this ship, wasn't isolated to just their little boat, but probably covered this whole area? You know, when Irma came through, it covered the entire state of Florida at one time. In one spot, it was so big. This is a 14-day hurricane that we're reading about. You think the Maltese people weren't affected by this storm? You think maybe their houses weren't knocked over or there was some flooding that was going on. You don't think that they were affected by the storm, but what do we see them do? They see somebody in need crawling up out of the ocean and they say, whatever, we're going to go and help them. Well, they've got their eyes off of their own situation, their own storm, and they're saying, how can we help those people? How can we go and help those? And you know what we're going to see as a result, they are mightily blessed as a result, now, I don't think they said to themselves, we should go out and help them because probably a blessing will come to us if we do it. No, they said, we're going to go out and help them because they need help. I'm not going to worry about the fact that I also maybe have some damage to my house or we have uh, a village that we need to rebuild. These people need help right now. Let's go there. And they were blessed beyond measure, as we're going to see. Oh, man, how easy is it to get caught up in your storm? What did I just say? I've got two storms. Woe is me. Oh, I've got two storms going on. So what? So what? I'm sure some of you got three, four, ten, bigger ones. How can I help you? How can I get my eyes off of myself and say, I'm not worried about my storm. I'm going to trust God and I'm going I'm to go and help you. How can I help you in your storm? Oh, man, how easy it is for us to get just tied up in our own thing. Just tied up in my own storm. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's my storm. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story. You probably know it. Jesus is on a, a boat, he's asleep, the disciples are with him, a storm comes up and starts blowing them all around, you know. I know you know the story. Maybe what you forgot though is in Mark it says, along with that boat were a bunch of other little boats. Right? In that storm that was affecting the boat that Jesus was on, the disciples were on, and they were all afraid for themselves. It also says that there were a bunch of other little boats. Well, guess what? All those other little boats were also caught up in the Storm. But you don't hear any mention of that from the the, the guys that were on there. boat. They were all concerned about themselves. We're gonna die, we're gonna perish, don't you even care? Yet all these other little boats are like when I first read that and I first realized that there were other little boats, it made me stop and think, who are the little boats in my life that are affected by the storm that I'm also being affected in? For me, it's my children. Unfortunately, my children get caught up in all my storms. You know, the things that are happening to me are happening to my little boats as well. But just like this and just like in that story, what is the answer? Jesus was the answer. He stood up and he rebuked the stormy and it's stopped. But guess who it stopped for as well as their boat? All the little boats, right? So these guys, they come out and they have no concern the fact that they also just went through 14 days of storm and that it's still raining and that it's cold, they come out and they build a fire to try and get these guys warm. How big of a fire do you need to build for 276 people? I have no application for this, I'm just curious. Like when I read that, I thought, oh, they built the fire, okay, and I just picture like everyone's coming up, I'm like, oh, nice, woo. <laughs> That's 276 people. How big of a fire? Is this this massive fire? Is it really long? I don't know. It's just interesting. But what I see here is in verse 3, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, what does that tell you? Paul drags himself out of the ocean, cold, wet, looks around and says, oh, we're going to build a fire. Let me help you. Let me get some wood also. Let me get right to work. I love that about Paul, right? Paul never shied away from work. If there was some work that needed to be done, Paul did it. Remember, Paul spent his whole ministry teaching and working. I was sitting there, and if I'm going to teach during the day um, and uh, in the morning, I'm going to make tents. And then when I'm done teaching in the afternoon, I'm going to go back and make more tents. He worked. He never shied away from serving. In fact, he was a great, I'm, I'm sure that he understood this example that Jesus would give. Jesus would come one day and he would line up all 12 of his disciples right here. He Took off his robe and he put on a towel and got a basin of water and he got down and he started washing their feet. That was a nasty job. You imagine, it's dirt floors, dirt roads, dirt everything. And what you have on your feet are sandals, much like my flip-flops. Not a lot of coverage on your feet. And they just walked around all the time. And when they came to a house, it was the lowest servant's job was to wash feet. And yet there's Jesus, the, 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 the first of all of them, getting down and he's washing his feet. And, he, and they're all like, oh, man we did this little exercise with the kids a couple of weeks ago where I had 12 volunteers who didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And, and one extra one, Kai, is he in here? Anyway, Kai Silva was the volunteer who also didn't know what he was gonna getting himself into. And he was the one guy. And so then I had all the kids take off their shoes. And that's when they were like, oh man, no, what are we doing? And, I, and then Jeff came out with a bowl of soapy water and we handed it to Kai. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Kai, you're going to wash everybody's And to his credit, he was like, all right. And he just went down and he got right down in front and he was ready to go. He was ready to go, ready to wash all 12 pairs of feet. Now these folks right here, they weren't ready to have Kai wash their feet. (laughs) But it was much the same reaction that the disciples had. They were just like, I don't know. And Peter was like, no, not my feet, Lord. And, and, And Jesus made a point of saying, look, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And it was a great example that Paul's embracing right here. doesn't matter how highly you think of me, what position you think I've attained to, we're servants. We are servants of each other. We're servants of all. Paul is like, yep, I'm I'm, I'm like God's evangelist. But I'm also going to collect firewood because it needs to be done. And he goes about it. You know, one of the things that I love about Calvary Chapel and its history, and I've read and studied and talked to Chuck, the, the guy that started the whole thing, and his, his philosophy was, you want to be a leader in the church? Go wash the bathroom. It's how it, it's how it starts. Because if you can be faithful in that kind of service, then you have been become, started to develop a servant's heart. Right? It's biblical. It's exactly the model that was practiced. And Paul's picking up sticks. Well, it says that when he laid him on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Okay. Do you think there was just a moment there where Paul? Is putting down the firewood, and then the viper comes out and bites him on his hand. It doesn't just bite him, it's like he's like, and it's hanging there. What would you be if you were Paul, just be like, oh, come on! <laughs> God, really? <laughs> you know, and as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that is what the enemy does, doesn't he? He waits for that moment like, oh, you've had a victory in Jesus? Here's a snake trying to steal away a victory that God had in your life. And don't be surprised if you have some victory in Christ. He's given you some victory, and all of a sudden, the enemy tries to step in and steal it away. Tries to steal away your victory. I mean, it seems like to me, like, Paul has just had this incredible victory and there's a viper attached to his hand right there. Well, it's funny because what does Paul do? Shakes it off right into the fire, just throws it off into the fire and goes on about his work. He doesn't even give it a second thought. You know, um, somebody sent me this really neat article the other day and it blew my mind and I had to look it up for myself because I really wanted to share it and I wanted it to be true and it is true. Did you know that they are making snake anti-venom from the blood of sheep? This is what they do. They take a rattlesnake and they uh, inject a lamb with rattlesnake venom. And then they watch because there's something about the blood of a lamb that starts to work against the venom and create antibodies against snake venom. I'm all tingly even thinking about this because you know what that says to me? The best defense against the venom of the enemy is the blood of the lamb. Oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. Is that the coolest thing you have ever heard today? (laughs) You go look it up. There's many sites that talk about that and I'm sure some of you will. We'll go and you'll see that the the, the, the best defense against the bite of the enemy is the blood of the lamb, is Jesus Christ. Paul has such faith in Jesus that he doesn't even think twice. He shakes the snake off into the fire. But look at it. It says the natives look at him and they say, oh, well, obviously this guy is bad. He must be a murderer because even though he escaped the sea, justice won't let him live. And justice to them was actually, the word justice was the judge, not just the concept of justice, but the judge won't let him live. But it's it's not God. It's some other force out there like the universe. We hear that now all the time. Well, the universe gave us a second chance. No, it didn't. The universe is vast, vacant space with balls of fire and some satellites. and, and, And that's what the universe is. The universe doesn't make decisions. The universe doesn't have powers to do anything. The universe does nothing. It just is. And it, it really, the universe is uh, almost nothing. And by definition, it's just vacant space with stuff in it. And, and this is the idea. is They're like, well, the universe wouldn't let Paul live because, you know, he survived a shipwreck, but then a poisonous snake bit his hand. So then they're like, let's just watch him. <laughs> and it says they stood around and they watched to see... If he would swell up or die. And so they're like, hmm, let's watch and see what happens with this guy. But it says in verse 5 that Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. That's so like the people. Isn't that like people? That That guy must be a murderer. Oh, he didn't die? He's a god. Like in in just this one moment They go from murderer to God People are so fickle that way Let me tell you what It could go the other way just as quick Man that guy is so awesome He's so cool He's a jerk He shouldn't He doesn't deliver (laughs) That's it He doesn't deserve to live doesn't surprise me Hosanna in the highest. The Messiah has come. Praise him, praise him. Three days later, crucify that guy. He's a murderer. Oh, no, he's a god. My bad. I was wrong. He's a god. This is how people are. Why, is, why are people like this? Well, oh, because they look to the universe for direction. The universe. They look to vacant, empty space for their direction. Do you know, like, uh, on our money, it says, in God we trust. And there's always this debate. We should take that off our money. That shouldn't be on our money, in God we trust. We should take that off. Well, listen, if you've got, in God we trust, and you take out God, what do you got? In nothing, or in vacant space, we trust. Well, that's really what it is, isn't it? And you take God out, in vacant, empty space, we trust. Well, that's the universe. If you're in a, 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 like into stars and planets and things, I apologize. I don't mean to insult anybody who really likes stars and planets, but, but stars and planets are not gods. Fickle, fickle crowd. He's a murderer. No, he's a god. <laughs> why did God allow that viper in the first place? I mean, didn't Paul go through enough? Hadn't they been through enough already? I mean, if God really is in control, why did he allow that in the first place? He could have stopped the viper from biting onto Paul. Paul? I think there was something to it. Like I think that maybe God allowed that to happen because had that not happened, Paul would have just been another soggy soldier or soggy sailor crawling up out of the water to these Maltese people. It's just another one of the 276 people that they built. But now he has a platform. Do you understand? God allowed this thing that seemed like to everybody a bad thing that he protected Paul through, which gave him a platform to deliver a really incredible message. If he hadn't, maybe Paul just would have been one of the crowd. Yes, I know Paul would have been probably out there talking and preaching like he does. But God gives him a platform, a special platform. Do you want to know something? I actually heard this this week. Um, I can't remember who said it, but he was at a conference um, uh, several years ago. And um, one of the main, not the main speaker, but one of the main speakers was Johnny Erickson. Do you know her? Johnny Erickson, as a teenager, dove into a lake and became a quadriplegic. She can't move from here down, she can't move, she's been in a, a wheelchair ever since. She gave an incredible, stirring message at that conference, and when she was asked about, you know, her being a, a quadriplegic, she said, this isn't a handicap for me, it's a platform for me to be able to share an incredible message. I mean. She may never have had any of the opportunities that she had through her life to speak the gospel message had that not happened. And she is able to see that. That's incredible. Ah, So many of us would take that bite on the hand and be like, God, come on. I wonder. I wonder how many things, how many storms we have that we are just like, I just want to get through the storm, that's it, rather than to say, God, is this, is this, you're trying to use this in some way? Should I be more eyes wide open, Lord? Well, it says in verse 7, that in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that his father, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went to him and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways. And when we departed the way, they provided such things as were necessary. (laughs) See, Paul has an opportunity and he, he heals this man's father. And as a result, all of these other people come, and they all come to Paul. Now, do you think, it's going to say, the very next verse is going to say that they stayed there for three months. Three months in Malta, three months. Do you think that, based on what we all know about Paul, that that's all that Paul did was heal everybody and then just went on about his business? Or do you suppose that he might have preached a little bit? While he was there. In fact, there isn't a time that we see Paul going someplace where he does not preach the gospel message to whoever it is he's talking about. In fact, most of the time, if not every single time, God uses miracles to validate the words that Paul is saying, to say, these things that he's saying are so true that I'm going to validate them with these miraculous things and these healings. And so there is no doubt in my mind that for three months, Paul preached the gospel to these people on the island of Malta. And as I consider that, I think, well, of course God had a plan when they left the Fair Havens. And it not look like I would have done it. That's a little bit messier in my opinion, a little bit less direct. But you know what? God had a plan. God had a plan to reach the people on the boat. God had a plan to reach the people on the island. Because God, it says in the word that God desires that all come to repentance right? And sometimes he does that in ways that don't make sense to us, but make perfect sense to him. You know what's really neat about this too? Have you ever been talking to anybody about your faith and what you believe, and you say something along the lines of, oh, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the only way, and that everybody needs to come to a saving knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ as their Savior, And someone says, Oh, really? Everybody? Everybody has to decide. What about the guy on the island? Did you ever hear that? Island. Malta is a tiny little island. Does that not show you the great lengths that God will go to to make sure that everybody has the chance to hear? Even the guy on the island. By the way, the person that says, What about the guy on the island? He doesn't care about the guy on the island. It's just an excuse. It is just an excuse for him to say, well, I don't have to believe that because it can't be true. And God says, it absolutely is true. And in fact, if you even looked for a minute in my word, I would show you that I will and have reached the guy on the island. Oh man, he can't get around it. If you deny it, it is only because you don't want it to be true. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Three months, they're there. Three months, these prisoners who are going off to face their death have the opportunity to hear the gospel message. For three months, the guys that were sailing the ship have the opportunity to hear the gospel message. The soldiers, the people that live on Malta, the colony, the Roman colony that lives on Malta, they all have the opportunity to hear the gospel message. For three months, that blows my mind. God easily could have taken that ship and gone right up to Rome, just as he said Paul was going to go to Rome. But he says, you know what, Paul, on the way, I'm going to just make a couple stops. I'm going to work out a couple of things that I've been trying to get. I'm going to speak to a couple of people through you that I know need to hear from you before they go off to their own death. Because what you're going to see here is that once they land in Rome, all those prisoners are delivered to the guards, taken off to their final destination. Some of them, I have to believe, their final destination has now been changed because of the word that they received, the gospel message. We're going to end with this. Yesterday, we were reading in uh, our men's soap, Joshua chapter 5. I'm just going to read this to you, so just listen for a minute. Um, This is when uh, they've crossed over the Jordan River, okay? And Joshua's now leading them. And now there's a time where he's waiting for that next step to go in and take the city of Jericho. He's waiting on the Lord. And it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And he said, This is the man, this is how the man answered. And he said, No. That's weird. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face and he worshipped. And so, what does that tell you about who that was, by the way? Commander of the Lord's army. It was Jesus Christ. Okay? Because. No angel ever allows anyone to fall down at their feet and worship them. And this was an old testament appearing of Jesus Christ. But look what Joshua sees him there, and what does he say? Are you with us or are you with our enemy? And and Jesus says, No. In fact, what he's saying is, I'm not with you. You're with me. Gang, this is a concept that we have lost. We say, Jesus is always with me. Jesus is always with me. And I guess in a really vague concept, that's true. But if you're a true follower of Jesus, he's not with you. You're with him. Does it look like in this map that Jesus was with them or that they were with Jesus? They didn't have any control over where they were going, but he did. He knew exactly where they were going. We have this idea, like once we get saved, we just bring Jesus right along with us. Can't be, it can't be. Remember the throne. You invite Jesus to come in and take over your life. He sits on the throne. You're with him. They knew this and the, the disciples knew this. They weren't saying, Jesus, come on, we want to we wanna do a ministry over here. We want to do a ministry over here. They went where he went. They followed Jesus. They were with Jesus. Somewhere along the line, we've changed it up, where we're saying, Jesus is with me. God is with me. But you're supposed to be with him. You're supposed to go where he goes. You're supposed to do what he tells you to do. But somehow, we've, done, we've scooted him off the throne. And now he's next to me. God is my co-pilot. Uh-uh. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants you in baggage. God is not your co-pilot. But if, I mean, he may be, actually. He may be your co-pilot. Or maybe you've got him in baggage. But it can't be. It can't be. You can't have him with you. You need to be with him. This is what I see. This is what I see in the story, that Paul was with Jesus, not the other way around. How about you? Is it so stormy? Is your life so stormy? You're looking around and saying, well, where's God? Where's God? You're thinking, don't I have God with me? Well, if you think that, then you're wrong. You need to be with him. And maybe it's going to be a twisty, tangled-looking path. Another really great mental image, if you need something else to go home with today, is think about a tapestry. If you look at the front of a tapestry, it's a beautiful picture. If you flip it around the back, it's a tangled mess of knots and stitches. That's what I see. God sees the other side. I'm just going to trust that the other side is going to be perfect just the way he wants it to be. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I am hesitant to say thank you for the storms, but Lord, thank you. Lord, remind us as we go out of this place today that we are to be with you in the storms and in the valleys, but also in the high places, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go out, even when we find ourselves in a storm, Lord, that we would take our eyes off of ourselves and that we would look around and say, who's around me that's also caught up in this? Who can I help? Who could I serve? Lord, because we know that serving others is being 100% surrendered to you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I do pray actually and practically for the storm that we see coming up, Lord, that right now, I mean, we're in, it's not here now, but it's hitting somebody now. Lord, and so I pray for those people who are in the path of it right now, who are even in the midst of that storm. Lord, I pray for lives and safety. Lord, I pray that in each life that this storm intersects with, Lord, that your glory would show through, that your purposes would be revealed thank you Lord. thank you jesus in your name we pray amen amen